Christ was written by Elizabeth Prentice in 1856. Her words were set to music in 1870 by William H. Burns. The scriptural basis for this hymn is Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, and that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we just give you praise and thanksgiving for the more love that you show us every day. How privileged we are, Lord, to know you and to experience the joy that you bring in our lives. To know that there's forgiveness for us in every week when we stumble and fall, that you're there to protect us and love us. 
And we thank you for this, Lord, the privilege that we have to live in America, in a place where we can have water coming out of our faucets, and even when it breaks down, that it's not too long. And we think of people in other countries who have to walk to get some water out of a well, or that they have to go to a river and then boil their water every day. Lord, we just thank you for the privilege of being Americans today. And we pray also too, Father God, for those who are going through struggles in their lives right now. I know some marriages that are going through difficult times, Lord, and for families that are going through great transitions in their lives and uh, difficulties, and some of them are good blessings, but they're re reality of changing patterns and adjusting to new uh, systems, Lord. I thank you also, Father God, too, for sparing the officers that had to go through shootings this past week and for their lives and their families that they could go home to and sadly to have to shoot people, Lord, to get them to comply or to stop. In a society where things are running rampant and drugs are going crazy and, and people are, are very short with each other, Lord, I just pray uh, that you'll help us as we reach the world, Lord, for the gospel. I pray also, too, Father God, for our uh, leadership. We pray for our president, Congress, and for the uh, judicial branches that are working to try to keep each other checked and balances. May they do their work. And also, too, Lord, may the provisions that are necessary to be provided for be provided for, and those that are not necessary and that government shouldn't have involvement in that they be taken out of. And I pray also, too, Lord, for the great men and women who protect us every day, both here and also abroad, and protect our democracy. democracy. And today also, too, Lord, we pray for those that are in our midst that are sick and struggling. We think of our sister Lucille, and we think of Mary, and we think of Joyce, who will all have difficulties with their health. And for our sister Kay, who's really struggling right now, I just pray that you give the doctors wisdom in her. I pray also, too, for a fellow by the name of Kelly, who found out not too long ago that he has cancer, but it spread further than they thought, and they had to put him in hospice yesterday. I just pray for him and for that you'll be with him and his family as they walk this journey, and that you continue to supply him with the faith and trust in you, Jesus, as he walks those final hours. I pray also, too, for our brother Jordan Zimbelman, who's had some problems with his health. And as an ICU right now, I just pray that they can figure it out, get him straightened out, and get back on the path that he needs to be on. We pray also, too, Father God, for others that we know, for the Wonka family and the Brown family who are now very fresh off the grave of their loved ones who have passed on. Just give them comfort and strength in their time. I pray also, too, Father, for those that we know that are addicted, for Ryan, for Jordan, um, for... Eric and for Ricky, um, and that, Lord, you'll work in their hearts and that they will look to you and for others that we know, whom we love, that are going through difficulties because of addiction. And, Lord, I just pray also, too, for my uh, nephew-in-law, Tom, who's, uh, again, had some problems with his health after the liver transplant, and I just pray they can work those things out. And, Father, there's others on our mind who we're thinking about right now that you know uh, Lord, hear our prayer that we lift them up by name. Now, Father, thank you for this time we can share together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, there's a lot of things and philosophies that are around in our world. One of them is this statement. 
It doesn't make a difference what you believe in as long as you're sincere. (laughs) There are people in our world who believe in that philosophy and buy in that philosophy, and I've talked to them before. And one of the sad parts about it, they're not living in a real world because you know as well as I do, if you step out of an airplane with a believing that your umbrella is going to hold you and take you to the ground safely, then you better get some checking done on your life. Because there are a lot of people who do that. Even in the physical realm, we see this. For instance, I was reading about a lawyer who was uh, trying to sell his client on these certain windows because he was ha- owned part of the company. And as he was trying to sell this client on this window on the 23rd floor of this high-rise building, he says, look, it can take so much pressure that it, even if you run up and slam into it, it will not fall out. And sure enough, he ran up and the window went, and so did he, 23 stories to his death. The same thing is true. I was reading about a nurse who was in a hurry at the hospital and she was trying to keep up with everything because short staff was going on. And she took an oxygen bottle off of a patient and put nitrogen in and later on came back and found her patient dead. We can be sincere about what we do and yet it can be very costly. And that's what John is speaking about in this book of 1 John. He wants everybody to understand how important it is what you believe in and how sincere that we need to be in understanding that. But further than sincerity, it has to be truth. And what happens in the same thing in the spiritual realm, people think that as long as I believe in something, God is going to accept me and that's not true. The Bible knows there's truth and there's error and there's things that are false. And John speaks to us very clearly in this passage. We've been following him along. And if you remember, he says there's a conflict between light and darkness. He says there's also a conflict between love and hate. And there's also a conflict between lying and the truth. And today, John speaks to us about the last times. And also, he speaks about the Antichrist. And the reason why he does this, because he really, truly understood these things that God had laid on his heart to deal with. John was dealing with a church that was going south. If you remember, John had written his last book, which was the book of Revelation. And as he had finished that book, he talked about five churches out of the seven that were getting lost and being taken away from the truth. But now, John, in this book, he wants to make sure that we all know what we believe in. And what we talked about the last several times, John has spoken to us about several things. One of the things he said that the Gnostics believed in the dualism between from Plato was that you can do whatever you want with your physical body, but the spiritual part is the good part of you. And that even God who created the physical world was a bad God, which totally goes against Scripture because the Bible says that the world was good and it's under the curse now of sin, but the world is still good. And that Jesus Christ, they said, these Gnostic people, they said that you can't have Jesus Christ be in the flesh. And John said, no. We touched him. We felt him. We experienced Jesus Christ, and he did come into the flesh. And so John speaks very plainly to the people of that day. And not only does he say that, but then he says, if you sin and you don't admit it, you're saying that God is a liar. And you're also saying that you're lying to yourself and you're also lying to other people. 
And then John says, if you really want to know, and this is the key to his book, he wants everyone to know for sure that they have eternal life and that they have Jesus in their heart. And what he did is, in this last couple times, we talked about, number one, he set up some tests. And he says, if you're obedient to God and you follow his commandments, that's the number one test if you really love Jesus. Number two test is that you also um, not only obey him, but you love your brother. That's the second test. If you say that you hate a brother and you are lying to yourself that you have Jesus in your heart because Jesus loves everyone and that you need to know this. And so John says 40 times the word no because he wants us to have certainty about it in these hundred verses of this book of First John. And then he comes and says, look, last week we talked about the triple threat to our world. He says the world, the flesh, and the devil. They work on us all the time. And devil especially uses certain things. He says the cravings of our life, the lust of the flesh. Then he says also the lust of the eyes that also work on us. And then he says the devil himself works on us with our pride. I had a young man come to me one time and he was wrestling with the lust of his eyes because what had happened was he had bought a brand new firebird and he thought that was going to be the answer to all his difficulties. And then he came to me and said he made the wrong decision because he wanted to move out and live on his own, but he didn't have enough money because he had a payment for this beautiful car that he wanted. And see, John comes to us and he says to us, if you really want to know God, you need to be abiding in him. And look at what John says here in this passage. He says, children, it is the last hour. And just as you had heard, the Antichrist is coming. And even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. Now, John is dealing with two things here that are very important. And John wants us to see it because it's not only in his time, but our time. Now, what he's talking about the last time is the time between Christ's resurrection and the end when Christ's return is the last time. And John was talking about the immediacy of Christ being present in our lives. And what he is saying is here that in this historic preparation, every generation is living in the last time because we're waiting for Christ's return and the end will come. But in the meantime, as you and I live our life, we are going to end this life and we're going to go on in eternity. But that is the last hour for us. And that as we go into the world and that we deal with this, we realize that this is not a kind of time that he's right present here, but he is present here with us, but that we also face the end with Christ's final return and that we are living in the latter times. And then he talks about this very important thing we need to understand, and that is the Antichrist. Now, the Bible has several different things. It speaks to us about the Antichrist. Number one Anti means against Christ. So anybody who speaks against Christ or tried to pull us away from Christ, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's a spirit that is in the world that opposes Jesus Christ and then denies Christ. But then he also uses it as false teachers who embody trying to draw us away from Christ and teaches us false doctrine that are not pleasing in God's eyes. And then there's a person 
a historical person in the end called the capital A Antichrist who will come into the world to deceive it and try to pull Christians away from their faith. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. And we have the spirit of the Antichrist living with us. Every generation has had these Antichrists. Jesus spoke about it in his day. And John spoke about it in his day. And we have these going along. And John does not make any differences here. But they all believe one thing. They want to pull us away from Christ. And notice what he says. They were with us. And they deserted the church. They walked away from the body of Jesus Christ. They went out from among us like Judas went out from among the disciples. And they were most cult leaders will do that and have done that. We can see it in our own generation. We had Jim Jones. Came out of the Methodist church. Started a church in Indianapolis. Growing. Interracial. Marvelous thing. 1957. 1967 moves to L.A. And in 1970, during one of his preaching times, he stomps on the Bible and basically declares himself the actual Messiah. And then in 77, goes out to Guyana and starts living there with his 900 people, 300 children. And then we all know how that ended with a senator getting shot and killed. And we also know that 900 people uh, with 300 children drank the Kool-Aid. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. We saw it again from a fellow who came out of the Southern Baptist Church. A guy named by Vernon, um, uh, Vernon Howell. Who came out of the Southern Baptist Church. And then joined up with the Seventh-day Adventists for a while. To make himself a little bit different. And then began to look into the Bible even more and set up this place where he was part of the background of the Persian king Cyrus. And that's where he gained his new name, which was David Koresh. And we know how tragically at Mount Carmel in Texas of April 19, 1993, where that place burned to the ground. But you see, this is nothing new. John says that they come out from among the church. If you look at some of the cults, started at the early part of this century, or the last century. Mary Baker Eddy came out of the Congregational Church. Joseph Smith, who was the Mormons, got the specks and saw the American Indians and saw Jesus appearing to the Indians with his vision of the Book of Mormon, came out of the Methodist Church. And Charles Taz Russell with the Jehovah's Witnesses, he came out of the Presbyterian Church. See, all these, as John prophesied, came out of the church, come out from us, and then tweaked the salvation or tweaked the doctrine to fit their needs so that they can have control over their group. We saw that happen out here in Valley Center. Where a guy took a group of people and he was their Messiah. And they wound up in Valley Center. And then he had one he murdered, which was one of his wives he murdered. So that he could get the insurance policy. So that he could keep his cult going. And then after that, he had a woman talked into with two girls there on the compound in Valley Center. And she took her car and drove it into the back of a truck so he could get the insurance money to keep his cult going. These people came out from among us. And the Bible says then, this is why it's so important. This is what John says. It's the truth. But you having anointing from the Holy One 
And you all know, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth. And because no lie is in the truth. Who is the liar is the one who denies Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. And the one who confesses the Son has the Father. And John is saying to these Gnostics, you claim to have this special relationship with God and special anointing. You don't have it because you are denying his Son who came in the flesh and died to save this world. And these spiritual perceptions that you have, your special anointings. Let me tell you something John is saying. We all, as Christians, have a special anointing. The day we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, we have the Holy Spirit come inside us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that if we cannot say Jesus Christ is Lord unless we have the Holy Spirit in us. Because we would not mean it then. And John here then teaches us. He teaches us that if you have the Father, you're going to also appreciate the Son and see Him for who He is, which is God in the flesh. And He's assuring the people of that day that they had the truth. They've already learned the truth. And they have this special anointing to understanding that truth. And that they understand it so that they can live for Christ. You see, one of the things that we can do to test people... And I know there's many wonderful people that go to church on Sunday morning, but that don't have Jesus Christ in their hearts. And they are kidding themselves. Many of them will say, you ask them, if you were to die tonight, what would you say? Well, I'm a good person. I'm a nice guy. I don't hurt anybody. But the problem is that doesn't save us. We know that we can't be saved by works. And the most vicious thing we could ever do with the truth is to take a little falsehood and implant the truth in it so it looks like the truth. And this is what cults do. This is what the Antichrist does. He plants those false things. And when we ask a person, and you may want to ask one of your friends, who you're concerned about their eternity, and you ask them, who do you say Jesus is? You'll hear them. Wow. Good example. Oh, he was a good man. He was a great teacher. But you see, they can't say a great teacher because he claimed to be God. And if he was a great teacher and you don't believe he's God, then you can't believe that he was a good teacher because he was a deceiver. Well, that he was a wonderful person. Yeah, but he has to be more than that. Is he God come in the flesh? You see, C.S. Lewis, in one of his great works, Mere Christianity, dealt with this. Because he had friends in the same thing. He says, you are forced to make a decision. And you have to decide which L Jesus Christ is. Was Jesus a lunatic? He said. That means that he was self-deluded. And he was like a guy I one time witnessed to that was high on acid. And he said he knew Jesus. And he was touching him and feeling him while we were sitting there in Burger King with him. Was Jesus nuts? And deluded himself? To believing that he was the Christ, the Son of God. And C.S. Lewis says, you have to entertain that thought. Or, do you believe that Jesus was a liar? That he tried to deceive people with what he taught and claimed to be the Savior of the world. But that he was really lying and he was trying to fleece the flock like some ministers we have 
in these days. And Jesus would not. Jesus knew that he was going to die on the cross, and he had the vision for that. And that's the third option. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? That he came to die for your sins and give you eternal life and be Lord of all? Is that who you believe Jesus to be? And see, these people thought they had this unction. The old word was unction or knowledge or wisdom or power. And the Bible says to us, through John here, that we have within us this Holy Spirit that works in our hearts, that gives us wisdom. And it only comes by knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that we can be able to discern truth from error. And that we have the Word in us. And that we confess that Jesus is our Savior and Lord. And that personal witness comes to our heart through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. And it is not an it. It's not a force like some cults will say. It is the person and work of the Holy Spirit within us, the third person of the Trinity. George Whitfield, who was a, at the turn of the century, the 19th century, a British evangelist. And one time he was speaking to a man. He said, how about your soul? How is it? And the man said, it's good. And Whitfield said, so what do you believe? He said, well, I believe what my church believes. He says, what does your church believe? He says, well, my church believes what I believe. And what do you both believe? And he says, well, we believe the same thing. He never could say or articulate that he believed in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And a lot of times people can assent to a creed intellectually. And say, I believe that. But how many have the trusting faith in Jesus Christ that he saved us from our sin? You see, when we deny Jesus his full deserving title and work he's done, we're denying the Father, John says. And that's when the falsehood really raises its head. And that's why it's important that John tells us, stay in the truth. This is not something new. Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. And we cannot deny Christ. Anyone who denies Christ is part of the Antichrist movement. And that comes from the rebellion. The Son of Man came to die for your sins. And the man of sin, the beast, the Antichrist, capital A, he will also try to deceive us in the end of times when Christ returns. And it's fascinating how many people want to have the paranormal. They want to see signs. Somebody asked me after first service, what did I thought about the, the whole idea of the healing movement and people having to see miraculous things before they believe. No, it's obedience to the truth is the test. John says here. And an apostate person is an unsaved person who may have at one time been exposed to the truths of the scripture, maybe at a church. But when they finally come to the point where they reject those doctrines, when they walk away from the word of God, and that they become hostile to the word of God, that is an apostate. Somebody who fully walks away. And does not have Jesus as Lord, but thinks him as a lunatic or a liar. 
And there's all kinds of gimmicks that these antichrists would use in that day. And they use it even our day to dissuade people from the truth. And John says, have none of it. But trust the teachings of the truth. Be careful of what teachers you listen to. Whether or not they're coming from the word or from their own feelings and desires. We have great preachers who have tremendous crowds following them, but they're not teaching the truth. They're not teaching from the word. They're filling man with the pride of life, as John earlier said. And that's where John says it's the truth and the teachings of the truth. As for you, let that abide in you. This anchor yourself, he's saying. Find yourself anchored in the truth and in the word that you may abide what you have heard from the beginning. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, it remains in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself made to us. Eternal life. That's where eternal life comes from. From Jesus Christ. Through the Father. And through his life of death and resurrection. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. There will be many people who come and deceive us. The world, we see it on TV sets. We, we hear it on, on Facebook. People who are trying to deny Jesus. And as for you... The anointing which you receive from him abides in you. This is the Holy Spirit. And you have no need for anyone to teach you anything other than this truth. And as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in that truth. John's whole desire is that we stay in God's truth and in his word. That the Satan who the Antichrist spirit that is the father of lies who tries to draw us away. You see, Satan is not an originator. He's a copier. He tries to duplicate. If you look in the book of Revelations, you will see Satan trying to duplicate some of the things. Even raising people from the dead. And Satan sows that lie to try to save, to, to dissuade the elect of God. And to bring out the children of wickedness. And the Bible here says, stay with the truth. You have the anointing. You've been taught the truth. Hold on to that truth. Invest yourself in it. You are anointed of God as a priest of nation of priests. Your anointing, John says, has got you in and holding you. Continue to believe and remain in that truth of God's word. Because there are many who will come around to try to dissuade you, to pull you away. That will try to guide you in the world's way or in his or her way. And that the truth of God is something, it's not, and the spirit is not something, not a force. It's someone the Holy Spirit, the person, third person of the Trinity that dwells in you and will teach you these things and remind you these things, Jesus said, and will keep to your focus. And that's why we need to abide in him. Because these false teachers do not abide in the same fellowship as we talked about. These false teachers have a different word. They say they got some new revelation. This is what you'll hear from them. And Jesus and John says, walk in the truth. Live in the light of the truth. 
Spiritually remain strong in the truth. Abide forever in the truth. Abiding means fellowshipping with Christ through his word. And there's a difference. There are some people who deliberately deceive people. Tragically. I remember a friend of mine when I was in a little group called the Calvin Cadets. It was like a Christian um, Boy Scout troop. And I remember him coming and his mother and father were having difficulties because his mother got caught into this teacher. And what happened was, is that this teacher got his wife and a couple of her friends and all of a sudden her husband, who owned a a building company, began to see withdrawals of thousands of dollars and he asked his wife where they were going. Here he found out she was giving to this Brother Smith, who was teaching her this new life. Tragically, she wound up in the end of it almost committing suicide and they saved her life and she realized how wrong. And there are people who are deliberately doing that deception. There are some people who are spiritually ignorant that don't understand. I sometimes run into young men who are excited about coming to know Christ and they've changed and they're new in Christ. But they're so excited. But they don't always understand theology and they don't understand the truth of the word of God. They may feel a few verses and that's what they preach. We had that with Apollos in the New Testament in the book of Acts. And Priscilla and Aquila came along and they found him preaching and he was enthused about Jesus Christ. But there were just few doctrinal things that he had messed up. And they pulled him aside and they taught him from the word of God and they opened up his eyes and he saw more the truth. You see, the spirit searches all things and we must follow him. And it's a reminder to all of us that we continue in the truth of God and follow his way and discern through the Holy Spirit. Because there are people who will come along and they're well-meaning But it's kind of like, you know, when there used to be hometown buffet down here on Central? That's why I looked the way I did, because they had so many opportunities. It's like the salad bar at Jason's Deli. And I put too much on my plate. Well, there are people who like to go down and pick theologically what they like. And they know are going to tickle ears. And they use it, but they don't have the full truth. And John is saying, you need the full thing. Trust in the truth of God. And listen to the word of God. It's kind of like the woman who said, you know, honey, my car's not working. He says, well, what's wrong with it? She said, I think there's water in the carburetor. How do you know water in the carburetor? Where's the car? What's in the swimming pool? And there's the whole total thing is wrong and it's off. And she needs to change. And see, this is what the Bible is saying is that we need the truth. We have the truth. We have the anointing, John says. And so we're to follow it. And we have the teachings. And that we walk in those teachings. And walk in the truth. And finally, John then comes to us. And he says to us, you have the tie. Now little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him. In shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous and you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. And what John is saying here is saying, we know, 
We can tell the person truly is following Christ by the way he lives, the way he acts, that he exemplifies the righteousness of Christ. A woman who got caught up into cult, she said, I can't believe I got caught up into this guy and into this cult. But she came to the realization she didn't know have much knowledge of the scriptures. And what he said were some of the scriptures she heard when she was a child, but, and it seemed to make sense. But then as she went along, the freedom of Christ was gone, and it began to be a burden. And he was a taskmaster, and he continued to ask more and more and make her feel worse and worse because she didn't measure up to the standards which he set. And then she realized she was following a false gospel. David Wells says this very well about the church. He said, one of the fundamental problems in the evangelical world today is that God rests too inconsequentially upon the church. That his truth is far in distance. We don't know it. His grace is just ordinary, accepted in that he just accepts us just as we are. And we keep on living in that way to protect us from having to grow and mature in the faith. And that his judgment is too benign, that he's not going to judge us. And that the gospel is too easy. And Christ becomes so common that we just take him for granted. And you see, what Christians don't understand that fall into that matter is, yes, our names, there's two books at the end of time in the book of Revelation. There's the book of life in which we have eternal life. But there's also a book that's open after those who don't live in that, are not in that book, are sent away. In the end of Revelation, it says that we will give an account for who we are and what we've done for the Lord. And that that shows the aspect of righteousness in our life. And we will receive rewards on what we have done for Christ. And that our crowns, what we will get from Christ, with diamonds in them because of what we did for the Lord. And a lot of people don't understand that. They think they could just free wheel and, 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 and God's going to forgive them for whatever they did. But there comes a time at the end when we will stand before the judgment seat of God. Not for salvation, but for our rewards in heaven. And many people are going to miss out because they've been too flippant with God's grace and abused it. And you see, we need in the church to get back to the truth and back to what the Bible really says and not kid ourselves because we're even we're susceptible to false teaching. One of the things that amazed me, and I was at an occult conference, and one of the things that one of the, the, the teachers said, that the Southern Baptists are the most susceptible to the Mormons. And the reason is because of the works. You, if you have a neighbor, you want a Mormon because they'll cut your grass. They'll do whatever they have because they're earning their way to heaven. And for us Christians, we don't earn our way to heaven. We know we are accepted by Jesus Christ. But when you have a legalistic background, it's very easy and very tempting to get into that so that you're earning your way into heaven. And the Bible totally says it's totally by grace and grace alone. But this is why they're so susceptible to the Mormon faith. And John here comes back to us. 
says our righteousness shows our love for Christ. And we will be rewarded in the end of time. But we need to stay with the truth. What is the truth? Well, you know, some people say, well, you know, I don't buy into the creeds. Well, let me tell you something. The creeds were formulated not to replace Scripture, but rather to summarize Scripture for people who don't read their Bible fully and don't know the full, but they know the doctrines that will hold them in the faith and what is true and that no falsehood comes. The Apostles' Creed the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. They were there to protect the deity of Jesus Christ and, and, and the, the deity of the Holy Spirit, that he wasn't just a force, but he is part of the Trinity. Those were there to protect the true doctrines of the early apostles and Jesus Christ himself. And they're there for a purpose. And that's why they hammered those babies out so that we could always use them as a litmus test to the false teachings of the world. We saw that also in the Reformation when the Reformers came along and they saw how church had just gotten so ugly and dirty. They went back to the tenets and they said, this is what's important. And they came up with five solas, sola, scripture, that we get our truth from the scripture alone. Solo Cristo, only Christ is the way we are saved. And we are only saved by Christ through his grace alone. Sola gratia. And that we are saved by grace through what? Faith alone. Sola fide. And that we do it all for the glory of God alone. That's what it's about. And the reason why they put these together and these truths, because they saw how easy people could easily be led astray if they did not know their word. But they had these succinct statements that protect them and keep them close into the truths that was preserved by the apostles and by Jesus and the prophets. And so John says to him, you need to abide in him. Stay close to him. Follow him. Believe his truth and walk in his way. And you will know them by the way they live. I remember I was doing street ministry in New Jersey. We would go to the parks where they would be doing drugs or drinking. And one night we decided to go into further out into a city called Englewood. The park was dark. But we knew that usually in the darkness that's where evil lies and where we could talk to people about Jesus. And as we were going through the park... There was this black girl. She was by herself, sitting on this park bench, saying gibberish. And I had these two fellows that would go with me at first that had gone to our church many years ago and they were interested because I had played sport. They wanted to get to know me and so I took them out. And in fact, one night I remember when we got back from our visiting uh, park in a, in a bar, they wanted to know about Jesus, led them to Christ. So one night we're out walking around in this park in the dark, and this little black girl's there. We try to talk to her, and she's talking all kinds of insanity. And I said to them, guys, we need to help this girl because she's going to get raped. This was not a very nice section of the city. 
And so we took her in my car and I took her to the emergency room at the hospital. And as we talked to the psychiatrist, they brought down and he said, yeah, we need to keep her a couple of days. He said, we can hold her for 72 hours by law. And he said, then we're going to have to try to find the family. Well, sure enough, I got a call from the social worker. That was on a Tuesday night and on a Thursday morning, I got a call from the social worker and says, we found who she belongs to and what her name is. Would you mind going to the family and talking to them? Well, I said, sure. So I called the guys up and we went to this address. And a man comes to the door and um, it's a pretty affluent community. And as we walk in, we see gold records all on the walls. And uh, I tell him who I am and why I'm there. And he says, oh, you're a preacher? He says, huh, I don't believe that stuff. You need to know the truth. I said, oh, really? Well, he was a Jehovah's Witness. And he said, and my brother also is a Jehovah's Witness. And you need the truth. <laughs> well, sure enough, we started talking with these two gentlemen. And... Um, didn't want to do anything about the girl. And I said to him, well, you're Jehovah's Witnesses. Wouldn't you want to do something for your daughter who you brought into the world and whom you loved? And, well, we've got other things to do. Well, there are other things where they were managing two other children of the one man that was visiting, which was his brother. And here it was. It was... Um, I'll just keep it as a celebrity. But anyway, didn't want to have anything to do with this girl. Hmm. And so I said, well, I'd like to come back to talk to you next week about this discussion we've been having. But also, you really need to think about your daughter. And the uncle said, oh, nah, well, she'll be fine. Hmm. Well, we went back the next week, and of course, <laughs> it had just become a, a, a yelling match about uh, doctrines, and, and they had also brought in a bishop from the Jehovah's Witness uh, Kingdom Hall to try to dissuade us, but that never happened, of course, and uh, tragically, they never did anything for the poor daughter. And I thought about that, and I I asked them, don't you believe that you need... Yeah, but they were too busy handling two big careers. They didn't have time for that daughter. It broke my heart. But you see, this is what John talks about. He talks about if we really are in him and we abide in him, we practice that righteousness before him. And follow him. And do what he says. And it's the proof is in the pudding of what we have. Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you for these folks. That, Lord, you protect them every day. And that, Lord, as they have the Holy Spirit within them, that they're able to discern truth from error. And that they can point loved ones and friends who are living in the falsehoods of this world who may not even have a religion or check the box as many of the young people today do is that they're non-religious or don't prescribe to just one religion. 
that they can see the truth and they can see you, Christ, for who you really are and that we can love them in that. And they can see by our actions, by the words we say and what we believe in, the truth that you have for us in Scripture. Help us, Lord. Keep us to be wise from these antichrists that are amidst of us right now. And for that final time when the, the, the big antichrist comes, Lord, that we can stand faithful no matter what the cost. Jesus, bless these folks in all that they do. And it's in your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Let's receive the benediction and then we'll sing our closing song. May God's grace and peace be upon you from Jesus Christ and our Father who is in heaven by the Holy Spirit. Amen.